So it's interesting to envisage uh, a meeting of minds between C.S. Lewis and, and Richard Dawkins. Um, they're of different generations, but they both went to Oxford University, uh, of course. Uh, Lewis uh, first as an undergrad and then as a teacher for a large part of his career. Uh, Dawkins um, did his uh, postdoctoral work and uh, uh, teaching position and then later the chair of the Public Understanding of Science at Oxford. Um, so they would have that in common. Maybe they'd meet in the common room. Maybe uh, Lewis would take Dawkins down to the Eagle and Child pub across the road from the college or something, um, buy him a beer, sit him down, <laughs> and uh, try and, in a, in a friendly way, engage uh, in conversation uh, with him about these big issues that they were, they're both clearly fascinated by. And... Lewis would also have in, in common with Dawkins the fact that Lewis, of course, began out when he was an undergraduate at Oxford as an atheist. And indeed, as an atheist who shared quite a lot of the opinions that Richard Dawkins now uh, represents in today's um, public square. Um, but the major difference, I think, between Lewis's kind of atheism and Dawkins' atheism is that Lewis was trained in philosophy. And even as, a, as an atheist, he was trained in the classical philosophical tradition and took philosophical argumentation much more seriously than Richard Dawkins does, who had his background training, of course, in, in zoology. Um, so uh, I think Lewis would want to try and patiently move Dawkins onto the philosophical territory... Uh, and start at square zero is the basic questions about the nature of reality, the arguments for God, and so on, uh, uh, and try and um, keep the conversation uh, at those basic issues uh, before getting distracted by a, a lot of the sort of um, social uh, ills uh, commentary that sort of Dawkins goes in for about the evils of religion and, uh, and so on. I think Lewis would see that as a bit of a distraction from the main issue. Very good. Uh, boy, that's great, Peter. Thank you. All right, the next question is, uh, how does Richard Dawkins contradict himself on faith mm. and rationality? Okay. When it comes to the new atheist critique of religion in general, and this is a major theme of, of Richard Dawkins' uh, writings, um, they view religion as dangerous for people in society, and that's primarily because they view religion as a being about having faith, and they misunderstand what it is to have faith. So Richard Dawkins says that having faith means believing something in the absence of evidence, or indeed even in the teeth of evidence against it. And kind of this is why it's meritorious to ha to have faith, because you sort of screw, screw up the sort of willpower of yourself to believe anyway, um, even though you don't have any reasons, or indeed even though you have reasons not to believe. And okay, if you look at, at the definition of faith in a dictionary, that will be one of the the ways in which the word is used. It can be used to be synonymous with blind faith, 
But it's not the major definition. It's certainly not the historic Christian understanding or the biblical understanding of what faith is. So I really think this would be a major area where, where C.S. Lewis would take Richard Dawkins to task over this misunderstanding of faith. And as Lewis famously uh, defined faith, he said, faith is the art of continuing to believe things that your reason has, has once decided is true, and that you should therefore believe, in the face of, or despite uh, moods to the contrary. So despite the temptation of boredom or, or lust or greed or, or what have you. And Lewis gives a, a lovely analogy where he talks about, um, suppose I was going to hospital for, to have an operation. And I'm, I'm convinced, rationally speaking, that uh, anaesthesia works and that I won't be in pain when I'm being operated upon. Nevertheless, as I'm lying on the, on the, on the table there and the, the mask approaches me and I, I can see the surgeon there and all his sharp instruments and the needles and things, you know, does that mean that I won't have a moment of trepidation and fear? Uh, and he says, faith is you know, staying on the operating table, <laughs> actually putting my trust in it, as well as sort of having a notional belief. Uh, so the combination of what a philosopher would call belief that with a belief in, actually putting your trust or your faith in, uh, in it. So uh, faith, the understanding of faith as, as trust and as involving belief that this or that is true, uh, and that's that being completely compatible with thinking you have reasons to believe that this or that is true. Uh, and so Lewis would certainly want to focus Dawkins' attention on the fact that, that Christianity has always understood faith as being something that is entirely compatible with, with having uh, reasons and being rational. Peter, this is wonderful. Thank you. I, I would like to, because I, I focused on the faith part there. Yeah. There was a, a there was an issue about how does Dawkins ah, contradict himself on rationality. Okay. And I think we could spend that off into a separate question, if if that's okay. okay. So shall I say then? Uh, yeah. How does Richard Dawkins contradict himself on rationality? Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. So uh, shall we go ahead? With, okay. So having discussed the notion of faith, there's also the important notion of rationality. Now, Dawkins thinks of these two things as uh, irreconcilable things that never meet. Uh, Lewis thinks of them as things that do meet and go hand in hand. Uh, on rationality, I think Richard Dawkins, along with many new atheists, has uh, what a philosopher would call a very scientific understanding of knowledge. That is, a view of knowledge that says, basically, that, that scientific methodology is the only way to really know anything. Uh, and therefore, if uh, science can't give you reasons for believing something, then you can only believe it as a matter of blind faith. Uh, so, the problem with that scientific understanding of knowledge is that it doesn't seem to be an understanding of knowledge that you can know through scientific method. So, it's a view of knowledge that says you can only know things in a scientific way, 
But you can't know that to be true in a scientific way. So it's kind of sawing off the branch that it's sitting on and contradicting itself. And I'm sure Lewis wouldn't let uh, Dawkins uh, get away with that either. Um, Lewis uh, points out, indeed famously, that um, uh, reason itself, he says, rests upon the unprovable, the idea of proving things in logic or whatever. Um, rests upon the improve, unprovable that just has to be seen. You just have to see that certain forms of argumentation are valid and other forms are not valid and so on. You just have to see that a, a self-contradictory view can't be true and that the opposite of what's self-contradictory therefore must be true and so on. You just That's a matter of rational insight, not something that you have to argue for and you can argue for because any argument you wanted to try and give would of course immediately rely upon the rational insights <laughs> that this form of argument is valid or that's not valid and so on so uh, Lewis saw the importance of, of rational insight at the foundation of our being reasonable about anything uh, and uh, he's very keen on reason uh, and argumentation and so on but all of that rests upon, ultimately, foundations that are a matter of rational insight rather than the things that you argue for. Because you can't argue for everything, as it were. You have to start from, from somewhere. And those foundations of argument must be broader than the foundations of knowledge that science gives you access to. Um, because, for example, in order to do science, you need to know what's a rational form of argumentation or not. And again, that's not something that science tells you. It's something that science assumes, but the rational insight gives you. So in order to do science and know things scientifically, you have to be able to know things in non-scientific, but nonetheless rational ways. love your expression of Lewis's understanding mm. because it's, it's an outgrowth of his training in the classical right. philosophy. So, yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. All right, next question we have is number three here. And that is, according to his own concepts, why does Richard Dawkins think what he... Let me repeat it, mm. Peter. According to his own concepts, why does Richard Dawkins think what he does? Mm. I mentioned before the fact that both Lewis and Dawkins uh, went to Oxford University and were very influenced by their academic training there in, in different generations, but nonetheless, you could really say that Dawkins is one intellectual generation removed from Lewis. Uh, Lewis was uh, being trained and then being a, a professor uh, originally in philosophy for a short while and then in, in literature uh, at Oxford alongside people who would then be professors in the era of Dawkins, um, the sort of era of the people who then became the doctoral supervisors to today's new atheists, many of whom, including Dawkins, went to Oxford. Uh, and during uh, Lewis's time at Oxford, it was the heyday of the so-called logical positivist movement, um, championed particularly by the Oxford philosopher A.J. Eyre, who was a very young man, wrote a famous book called Language, Truth and Logic that pushed an understanding of when language is meaningful, um, according to which uh, language is meaningful 
and then therefore possibly true or false. Um, if it's true by definition, or false by just by definition, like yeah, an unmarried man is a bachelor, two plus two equals four. Or it's something you can kind of check out empirically, scientifically. Um, so if I say, uh, the dark side of the moon is made of cheese. Okay, that's a silly thing to say, but it's meaningful. Because I know what, what to do, what kind of experiment to do, as it were. Should I find myself on the dark side of the moon with a spoon? I know what I can do empirically to test that statement. And according to the logical positivists like Air, all sorts of, of metaphysical, philosophical talk about things like uh, moral truths, truths about beauty, truths about God and religion were literally nonsense. Not, even, not true or false, but didn't mean anything because they weren't true by definition and you couldn't check them out empirically. Now, there were a number of problems with that view. The, the major problem which soon came up was, again, it's, it's self-contradictory because the claim that language is only meaningful under the conditions given by the positivist definition didn't pass the positive definition of when language is meaningful. So according to its own lights, it was gibberish. Bit of a problem uh, for the view. Um, now, nonetheless, that kind of view hung around, still hangs around, particularly uh, with people who have a very sort of science-driven, scientistic sort of view of the world, as the new atheists, including Richard Dawkins, do. Um, they even sometimes will slip into Dawkins himself talks when he's talking about morality uh, says that the moral terms about what we ought or not to do are neither true or false which is a sort of straight line positivist thing to say most of the time they've moved on from using that sort of positive criteria as a criteria of meaning and simply use it as a criteria of truth so we can access truth when things are just true by definition, because that's just how we're using language, or it's true if we can empirically you know, show it, or false if we can empirically disprove it. There's a back to the scientific uh, theory of knowledge. So you see the relationship between scientism as a theory of knowledge and this positivism of, of Oxford of the 1930s and 40s, um, of A.J. Eyre, when Lewis was there. And Lewis was never sucked into that. Uh, he rejected that. Uh, even as an atheist, though his atheism predated uh, language, truth, and logic, for example, that kind of positivism was in the air, was in the intellectual atmosphere. Uh, and uh, Lewis rejected that kind of thing. Um, for example, Lewis, as an atheist, had, had a big issue of him was the problem of evil. Um, but of course, you can see that you can't really have a, a problem of evil argument against God where you say, you know, if there were a God, he ought not to allow this evil thing to happen, that evil thing to happen, if you think that talk about things being evil is, is meaningless, as the positivists would, would have to say. So there's a way in which the kind of atheism in which Lewis was uh, educated, classical edu uh, education, uh, saved him from getting sucked into the positivist movement of the mid-20th century, uh, which is still having a sort of overshadowing influence upon the views of guys like Dawkins. Uh, so I think that would be a very interesting interaction to see Lewis and Dawkins uh, uh, hashing out that sort of uh, history of ideas at Oxford uh, down the generations.
trade. Thank you, Peter. Uh, in Richard Dawkins' worldview, what is ethics? Okay. When it comes to thinking about the place of, of ethics in, in Dawkins' worldview, um, what does he think about the nature of ethics? Um, what a philosopher would call the, the meta-ethical question. So we're not asking questions about, you know, is this right, is that right, what should we do? But what is right and wrong? Um, he's a moral subjectivist, along with most, but not all, but most of today's new atheists are moral subjectivists. Um, so they think that ethics is something that we invent if you like. Uh, Dawkins talks a lot in his book, The God Delusion, about the, the moral zeitgeist of society and how that, that changes. Um, but it changes, but it doesn't really, according to him, change for the better or the worse, because that would imply some kind of objective standard that thing is getting closer to or further away from over time. Um, but he thinks that moral categories like ought and ought not, should, should not, um, in one case he says it's, it's meaningless he says there aren't such things he says that the universe we observe um, famously he writes says exactly the properties we should observe if there is no design, no God behind the thing um, he says there is no right, no wrong just blind, pitiless indifference, nature just does its stuff and we might call it right, you know, good or evil uh, we might not like pain, we might like pleasure, and so on, but none of that is a matter of, of an objective, discovered ought, or moral facts, and there aren't, according to him, uh, any moral facts. Now, again, interesting, Lewis, even as an atheist, would have disagreed with him, primarily because, for Lewis as an atheist, the, the moral argument against God from evil weighed really heavily with him. And, and, and Lewis, of course, was a guy who was intimately acquainted with the problem of suffering from an, from an early age. He, his mum died of cancer when he was very young. Um, he had his 18th birthday in the trenches of the First World War. Uh, he was uh, injured during fighting in the First World War um, by a shell exploding close to him and to the end of his days had various bits of shrapnel still lodged in his body that the doctors at the time felt were too dangerous to try and remove. Um, so he knew what it was uh, to go through and see suffering and, and Lewis as an atheist wanted to say this is wrong if there are a god he wouldn't <laughs> allow it or any god worthy of the name wouldn't allow it therefore there's no god. Of course, Lewis, thinking about that later on in life, came to see, as he said, that that was too simple, because where had I got, he said, this idea of right and wrong from? If it's just my own private fancy or notion, if it's just uh, something given to me by an amoral nature that, you know, as Dawkins says, just does its stuff, blind, pitiless and indifferent to moral categories, then I don't really have an objective standard to measure these things against. So that really is wrong and really shouldn't happen. Uh, so a naturalistic, materialistic worldview um, drains morality of its objective nature, um, which Lewis the Atheist wanted to appeal to 
And then that sort of turned around, was part of Lewis turning around his thinking to thinking, okay, there must actually be something beyond the universe that, it, that gives us this standard, this way of, of really saying that that really is evil, but that means that my atheism is, is too simple. Um, whereas Dawkins go, goes the route of saying, uh, of kind of agreeing that, yes, if materialism is true, then there is no such thing as, as real right and wrong. But Dawkins is prepared to say, so there isn't any real right and wrong. Uh, and that's why you won't find Dawkins or most new atheists appealing to the argument from evil as an argument against God, because they don't really think there is any such thing as evil. <coughs> All right, the last question that I have here, Peter, although I may ask one off script, sure. just if you want to uh, kind of... Um, uh, <coughs> summarize it all. Mm. But the next scripted question is how does Richard Dawkins' critique of Christianity logically fail? Mm. And again, if you could make reference to the question. Sure. So if we try and kind of sum up the major problems with Dawkins' critique of Christianity and, and the way that this plays into uh, the change in mind Lewis had from an atheism fairly similar to Dawkins' kind of atheism to becoming a Christian. I think that the main foundations are that Lewis took philosophy seriously and he took evil seriously as an, as an objective fact. Um, and he never bought into the sort of positivist idea that, that metaphysics and, and talk about morality and so on is, is meaningless and never bought into the scientific idea that you can only know things that you can sort of know empirically, basically speaking, because he was open to, to philosophical knowledge, to, to rational intuition as the grounding of our knowledge. Uh, and so that opens up a divide between Lewis uh, and, and Dawkins, whereas Lewis paid detailed attention to philosophical arguments for God, like the moral argument, um, like the, the argument from desire that he uh, develops. Uh, Dawkins doesn't do that. He's very ill-informed and offhand uh, in his critique of, of arguments for God and, and really focuses his disdain on the, the moral dangers of religion, even though it's odd for him to be complaining about the moral dangers when he doesn't think there really is any objective morality. Um, but equally, he doesn't. Dawkins doesn't think that we have any real free will um, because of he thinks sees that materialism leads to determinism. That means we don't have any moral responsibility, and yet he will criticise religious people for not living up to their moral responsibilities to be rational because. You know, being rational means paying attention to evidence and reason, and having faith as a matter of definition means ignoring that. Which, of course, you know, he's wrong about that. Uh, so, um, uh, Lewis, again, would bring him back to the compatibility of, of faith and rationality, but the broader understanding of rationality um, that undergirded Lewis's atheism and then in paying attention to the arguments and where they led coming around to Christianity. And um, I'm sure Lewis would, would over a, a pint down at the, <laughs> the Eagle and Child pub, uh, try and, uh, and, and get Dawkins to, to pay attention to those philosophical foundations uh, and to follow 
the argument where it leads, which was the the motto of the Socratic uh, debate club, club that uh, Lewis was president of at Oxford Uni. Uh, so the, the reason I'm, I'm talking about what C.S. Lewis would say to Richard Dawkins here at the conference is a couple of years ago I published a book called C.S. Lewis versus the New Atheists, uh, where I put into dialogue uh, Lewis's journey from atheism to Christianity, uh, in particular the, the arguments and reasons that played a role in him changing his mind, and see what today's new atheists have to say about those topics, uh, and tracing those lines of, of uh, intellectual dissent from the Oxford of the mid-20th century, where Lewis was there, to the, to the uh, Oxford of today, uh, where a lot of the new atheists have their, their background, and uh, seeing how uh, paying attention to the philosophical issues led Lewis uh, ultimately to Christianity and how the new atheists patently fail to seriously grapple uh, with the same issues. Peter, that is wonderful. I, uh, you crystallized my realization of the difference in the atheism between Lewis and Dawkins, which I think is mm. much more uh, indicting mm. of Dawkins' philosophy than a Christianity, Christianity versus... Mm. I mean, they're both valid. Yeah, yeah. But uh, just understanding Lewis's devotion to classical philosophy mm. and how Dawkins has really taken the easy way out. Mm. He's, he's not uh, standing up to the challenge that Lewis no. did, which led to his uh, coming to faith. Yeah. Uh, that's... I think he's just sort of me. just sort of absorbed that kind of scientific positivistic yeah. atmosphere from his university days. Hasn't really thought about it in a detailed way since, and he's just applying yeah. those categories to yeah, I'm stopping religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>